Well, we all like we all like things done well. I think you all like things done well. Maybe you don't like your steak well done, but you like things well done. Other than that, uh, but that can be taken too far. One person stated, "The pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy. The pursuit of perfection is frustrating, neurotic." And a terrible waste of time. An article by Patricia Holbrook, she shares how this can be crippling. Uh, She uses the example of one of our uh, greatest statesmen, John Quincy Adams. Uh, Adams, she says, is perhaps one of Americans' most impressive leaders. No elected official held more prominent offices than Adams in all of U.S. history. He lived in constant pursuit of excellence, serving with distinction as the country's president, sixth president, if I'm mistaken, uh, serving with, uh, as senator, congressman, minister to major European powers. He also served in the American Revolution, War of 1812. In spite of all of his outstanding accomplishments, we find a quote by him that translates the void he felt and insecurities as he struggled with perfectionism. At 70 years old, with a lifetime of his success behind him, he wrote, My whole life has been a succession of disappointments. I can scarcely recollect a single instance of success in anything that I ever undertook. Well, Patricia shares, Anyone who struggles with perfectionism can attest to it. Perfectionism is a monster disguised in pretty clothes. Um, as I get older, I, can, I, I get frustrated about small things more and more. I don't know if it's part of getting older uh, or just my personality changing. Uh, I don't know what it is. But, but there's something about excellence that's great. There's something about perfectionism that's very difficult, very hard to live with, right? And so uh, perfectionism focuses on the black dot. <laughs> that's the thing that's messed up, right, rather than enjoying all that is just and good and right. What's helpful is having a a Christian understanding of this, a Christian worldview. We, We can actually recognize that nothing is perfect, and nothing is ever going to be perfect. Since the fall, we have to just come to understand that no person, no clothing, no child, no career, no sports team, no spreadsheet, Nothing in your life, so sorry to say it, nothing other than your God will ever be perfect. Right? Systems, materials, everything goes down the slide. Everything starts out shiny and new, and then just goes through the normal process. Now, based on your personality, that may be very difficult, right? That concept. Um, and, and, and I'm really trying to to be careful about this. But then you have this other dynamic that that excellence is good. Excellence is Christian. We want to do our best. Do you see a man diligent in his work? He will stand before kings, not before obscure men. And so there's this other driven aspect to all of us as Christians where we want to do our best at everything that we do. And so so it's it's the balance. 
Lord, help me to, by your grace, do as best as I can at everything that you call me to do. But help me not to be, help me to enjoy it imperfectly. All right, so let's apply this to our public worship service. What would a perfect public worship service be? We just, we've gone through half of ours today. Um, One thing wasn't perfect about it, me, because I'm not perfect. Uh, So, what would it be, though, if we were to design a perfect public worship service? This summer, we're going to look at a few psalms. We're going to do a short series on the psalms to help us with our public worship. Um, But as we we begin that, I just want to do a few sessions on public worship. Um, What would it be like to have a perfect worship service? Worship services are... Actually, world news here lately because of our, our New York City. One of the, I guess, most popular churches, the lead pastor at both New York City and Australia Hillsong had to step down. Um, we, we would not go there at all for an example of a perfect worship service. Where would we go? Would we go to the Psalms? I think you can only go to one place to find a perfect worship service. Where is that? Yeah, you got to go to a perfect place, that's heaven. And that's what we just read about. So what we're going to do today is, we're going to be careful not to be perfectionist, right? But we're going to say, what would it be like if Grace Baptist Church had an excellent worship service every Sunday? What, where can, what principles can we apply to our church worship service to help us mirror heaven? Well, we have to go to heaven to take a look at that worship service and, by God's grace, mirrors those principles. Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, just a few minutes, we're going to look at five principles of perfect worship. Five principles of perfect public worship. Um, so let's jump into it. Um, it's never going to be perfect until heaven, but let's try to improve, right? Let's strive, by God's grace, to be better prepared as worshipers when we gather together. All right, so... Number one, uh, this, is, uh, this, is, this is the one we can't, we can't mimic, but it's a, good, it's a good lesson. Number one, as we look at a perfect worship service, a perfect worship service is, what I'm going to say, celestial. It's heavenly, right? And we just get that from those first three words. What are the first three words of verse 11? Then I looked. Then I looked. And I don't know if you've ever tried to fathom this. I have. And, and it is deep. Those three words are extremely deep and extremely difficult. Then is very difficult. When is then, John? He's writing this about 90 AD. He walked with Jesus for several years as one of his intimate followers. Jesus died, buried, ascended, rose, ascended. Everyone else died. John continued to live. Here he's writing something in, like, generations after Jesus lived, like 60 years after. And, and he's the last one. And, and he says, then I looked, he saw. So the then is difficult, when, John? And then I looked, how did he see? What is he seeing? Okay, so the, the both of those are very difficult, and I want to take a minute with this, and, and we're just, I'm, I'm going to go quickly through this, but we need to open our Bible, so... You, you pull out your Bible and, and take a look with me at what he's seeing. 
Let's find ourselves in Revelation 5 and understand where we are in the context in the surrounding verses, and then we'll jump right into that, that hymn and understand more about what perfect worship is, okay? But I, I just want to take a second with this. We, we saw this in our look at the Gospels, right? The Old Testament is the prediction of the life and ministry of Christ. The Gospels are this annunciation or introduction. Acts is the proclamation of the person and ministry of Christ as we see the, the message of the Gospel move forward. The epistles, those letters from Romans to Jude, are explanation. They give us a lot more explanation about the person and ministry of Christ. And then Revelation is the what? The culmination. It shows us the big climax of what this whole thing called human history and your Bible is all about. And honestly, when we turn to Revelation 5, we get to the, the hub of that culmination. We really do find the hub of the culmination of all of history. Um, and so, so just with, go with me for a second to see what John's talking about um, and, and how he gets there. How, how did John get there? Well, Revelation 1.1, we find out what Revelation is all about. And it may seem very confusing to you, but actually Revelation is very simple. The book of Revelation. Um, the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's a revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to John. That's what this book is all about. Revelation 1.1. And then you move on, verse 10. This is where he had it. He found it on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. Uh, this is repeated. This is a repeated movie. This is why we meet on Sundays and not on Saturdays. Because the continued example of the early church was they met on the Lord's Day. They gave on the Lord's Day, every Sunday. And so, John's on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, he's meeting, and he hears this revelation. The revelation goes, it talks about Jesus, but he says, verse 19, Therefore write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after these things. And, and really, that's the book of Revelation, the things... You've seen, he shows him in chapter 1, a picture of who Jesus is. The things which are, anybody know the book of Revelation to think of what that might be? The things which are, at that point, what does he go to next in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation? The churches, the churches right. Those are the things that are. And so in your Bible, you look there. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, the angel of the church at Ephesus write. And so he writes things that are to that church in Ephesus. Then he goes around to seven churches. And there's a repetition of seven in Revelation. So that's the things which are. And then the things which will be hereafter the things that are. And so you turn to chapter 4. And he says, after these things I looked and behold. Do I have that? Yeah. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet, trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up! And so he asked this Christian to come up, to ascend, to be caught up. And he says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and he goes to heaven, and he sees a heavenly throne. But look, he says, What must place, takes place, what? After these things. And so that's the same as Revelation 1.19, as he shows, Okay, that's what it is. Chapters 2 and 3, and now what must take place after these things, after the things that are happening in our lives. 
Okay? And so that's chapters 4 all the way to the end. And, and I'm not going to take a time to survey all of those, but, but after these things, chapter 4 and 5 are all about the glory of the Lamb and God in the throne room of heaven. Chapter 4 and 5 are all about the glory of the Lamb and the throne room of heaven. And it's the glory that is given to the Lamb because the Lamb at that point is pouring out wrath on all of the earth. That's the glory. Chapter 4 and 5 are all about the Lamb receiving the glory to pour out the wrath of God upon humanity. And so the rest of Revelation is all about that. The seven churches we've had, then he gives the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven persons, the seven bowls, and then the second coming at the end of Revelation. That's the book of Revelation. See how simple it is? But we're getting right to the hub, chapters 4 and 5, and we actually get a look at a, at a worship service. Um, he sees a throne, and, and he sees God on this throne, and there's a problem in heaven uh, that there is on this throne. Everyone is praising God, um, but God has a scroll, and no one can open this scroll. Um, and so they're looking around, and John is crying, why can't anyone open this scroll, which will end up being the wrath of God upon humanity. Uh, and, and, and the angel says, John, don't cry. Someone is powerful enough and grand enough to open the scroll. And that is the lamb. Uh, but he is the lion, actually, earlier in chapter 5. The lion of the tribe of Judah becomes the lamb. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing this new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. Why? For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So there's this amazing worship of the Lamb before the throne of God. So, in summary, where we've come in world history is into heaven itself. Into heaven itself. An amazing worship service. Um, this is the perfect worship service. Uh, perfect worship is then celestial. Oops. Um, talking about having perfect pitch, this will be all perfect pitch, perfect praise. Our motives will be perfect. Our song will be perfect. Our lives will be perfect. Our surrounding conditions will be perfect. And all this will be from the Lord. A heavenly, celestial worship. Um, focusing on God and his glory. I, I do believe we, we strive to this end. Uh, as our church, we strive to get our focus, like when we come together, our focus is not on man. It's not, okay, what do we do to help people feel good? Right? It's This service is all about God. Because we know that as man's eyes are content in God, they will feel good. But that's not why we do it. Uh, it's because this is what a service of worship is about. But even here today, we are We are distracted. Um, sometimes you're thinking about what if someone hears me sing and they don't like the way I sound? 
Um, you may be distracted by what someone said to you or didn't say to you. You may be distracted by the different things you have to do today. We have distracted worshipers here, not in heaven. We have sinful worshipers here. How many of you have ever sinned this week? Did anyone sin this week? Okay, I think that's everybody. This is a problem. We have sinful worshipers here. And it does hold us back at times, especially if we're holding on to that sin, from really enjoying worship. And so that's why we pause every Sunday and we have that time of approaching God and confessing sin. There's sinful worshipers, distracted worshipers, unfathomable worshipers. Uh, there's just this lack of understanding in all of our lives about how great God is that we will not come into full fruition until we get to the throne. We really won't completely understand the greatness and grandeur and glory of our God until then. And so we have an imperfect view at this point of who God is. At that point, all of that will be perfect. Okay, So we can't complete all of that, but we can prepare our hearts before we come. We can make sure when we come that we're focusing our attention upon God and his glory. Right? So, first of all, perfect worship is celestial. Okay, so we can't do that until we die. Secondly, let's look. Perfect worship is combined. Combined. Then I looked. Great mystery there, and we'll come back to the timing in just a minute. But then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Just a lot of angels, a lot of people, too, we'll see, are around this throne. And, and so I, I think we, we learn from this that a, a perfect worship service is heavenly, and we're working on that as we grow in our sanctification. But a worf, perfect worship service is plural. It is not me alone by myself singing praise to God. That can be good, and it is good. But if you want to find a perfect worship setting, you will find it with the saints gathered together to worship. Perfect worship is plural. Perfect worship is combined. Um, these elders, right, these, these leaders, and maybe that he's talking about the, the 12 leaders of Israel, 12 leaders of the church, you can get into all that, but... There's just a lot of beings there. Myriads of myriads. That was 10,000, but, but actually it was just the highest number that they had in their language. So it's like, you know, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. It's just thinking innumerable multitudes of people. It's amazing, right? I don't know the biggest crowd you've ever been in. Probably thousands or tens of thousands of tens of thousands, maybe 50,000. And it's, it's astounding. Well, what if you had 10,000s of those 10,000s? Nothing in human history has come close to seeing that, to feeling that, to hearing that. And all of that attention somehow is on the Lamb, as we'll see. I don't know how, but all of those millions of people, of individuals, as we'll see, are able to focus attention on the Lamb. 
Well, perfect worship is combined. It's with a crew. It's not just you on your own. We need each other to do this. God intends our worship to be in a group. That is heavenly worship, where we have a crowd, where we have all of us, a place packed with other Christians whose hearts have also been changed and motivated to love the same God. Heavenly worship is a large crowd. This is why we want this room full. And you guys, this singing was so full today. Maybe it's because I found myself in the middle of the the group. But it was great to hear a full sound. Um, But but my prayer is that the Lord will fill up this room to capacity. We could at least double the worshipers here. At least double. Pray for more worshipers here. This is our primary and most preeminent purpose for evangelism at our church. To have more worshipers of Jesus. Because he deserves every person's worship. I love Piper's axiom. Evangelism exists because worship does not. That's good. John Payton came to Tana. There were no worshipers of Jesus Spent his life there by, and and those who were steeped in witchcraft. And all sorts of violence. By the time he left, it was filled with worshipers each Lord's Day. John on the island of Patmos was no doubt uh, ruining this more than anything. He could not be with the worshipers. And there are all over the world, there are times and places where worshipers cannot grow big because it's illegal. But this should be our heart. Let us sing together. Um, yes, you can do this by yourself in your prayer closet. You can do this. You can worship in your prayer closet. You can worship as a small group fellowship. But that is not perfect worship. If we want to see what perfect worship is, we want as many people as possible singing together to the Lamb. And we're jealous for that. Yankees have nothing on that. Right? Why? When the Lamb has poured out His blood, and in New York City you have tens of thousands of people watching people hit baseballs, hit a little thing with a stick, on ice, throw a basketball through a hoop. What an atrocity, right? Now there are tens of thousands, I praise God, that are worshiping him today throughout this city as well. But our worship service is not optional, it's essential. Even though imperfect, it's getting closer to to what God's grace, by God's grace, what we want to see each week, a place packed with those who are worshiping Jesus. Not just because of tradition, but because it is essential. And so we should come, by God's grace, ready to sing with the saints. You think about that as you're coming up. Lord, help me. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me for that sin of being impatient with my children on the way over here. Or that, that, that person who cut me off as I drove here. Or whatever it is. We put that aside and we ask the Lord for grace to joyfully focus on worship. As you're doing that, you're mirroring heaven. You're closer to heaven. Perfect worship is celestial. Perfect worship is combined. Look, thirdly here, uh, perfect worship is communication. 
Perfect worship is communication. Now look at this. Are they singing? They're not even singing at this point. They're saying with a loud voice. You can say in a worship service, and we do that. They're saying with a loud voice. Now, they were singing earlier, so it's, it's singing, it's saying. Uh, it speaks of harps there. But there's this loud proclamation, this gigantic confession of faith. All of us reading together great truths about God. All of us in symphony singing great truths about God. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. You'll enjoy that. So we do send out the worship guide ahead of time. Right? We try to repeat the songs fairly frequently so that you can learn them. Um, and, and, and your heart can be engaged where you're not having to just read the words, but you can lift up your voice to God. Even if you don't have the best voice, you have a voice. I think it's important to try to sing so you hear yourself. Um, that's just a good gauge. If you can't hear yourself, you need to, you need to increase your volume. Um, what was great today is I, I could hear myself, but I, couldn't, I didn't think I was being distracting. Now, you may have said, Tim, no, you were too loud. But, but if you can hear yourself and, and not to where you can't hear everyone else, right? But you can hear yourself, and you, but if you're not hearing yourself, then you're not singing loud enough. He says with a loud voice, perfect worship means we are all audibly confessing the glory of God in song and in scripture. Right. Everyone should be singing out. And I would just say this again, this is, so, so our, our small group Bible studies are not enough. We need to be gathering as a church body to worship God in song and in scripture reading. Scripture reading is essential for us. Scripture singing is essential for us. I love the Greek words here. The first Greek was a loud voice. Loud is mega. Voice is phone. A megaphone. <laughs> we all want a microphone. All of us have a microphone singing to the glory of God. I'm not getting on you. Our, our, our singing is good, but it can, it can, I am getting on you. It can grow. Okay. We can do better as a church. We can do better, first of all, by filling our room up, by making this a priority in our lives that we, that we meet together, right? And, and if you're out of town, that you're, you're finding another like-minded group where you can megaphone together and you're praising the Lord on the Lord's day. So John meets on Sunday, and he finds himself at the biggest worship service ever. And it's communication. And then this is the most important point, and, and uh, we only have five points. So the most important point here is what? It's celestial, it's combined, it's communication. We can't do that first one yet, but we can strive by God's grace to grow in sanctification. But the fourth one is so important. It is Christ-centered question that often comes up about a worship service is is it contemporary or is it right conservative is it traditional is it jazz is it pop that's not the question this is the question is it christ centered is it that's the important thing and we you know all these other things we can talk about right like what about my my culture and my 
right? The, the way, the, the tone, the mood that this music sets, and maybe we'll talk about that another time, but this is the most important point. Is it focused on Christ? If it's focused on humans, it's idolatry. Is it focused on Christ? The worship service that is perfect is focused on Christ. That he is what? The first word is worthy. He is worthy. Worth. Worship. It's our, it's our word worship. Right? Everything of value to you. You think this is valuable. This is much more valuable. The most worth in your life is Jesus. He is worthy of all worship and praise. Why? Two questions here. Why is he worthy and what is he worthy of? Why is he worthy? The text says, worthy is the lamb that was slain. This is why he's worthy. Because our creator did not just stay creator. He came to die for us. The reason is that he is a lamb. A lamb slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah, who's powerful enough to take the scroll, becomes the lamb of Calvary. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb, is the song of perfect heaven. Amazing text there in Revelation 5 as they bow before the Lamb and praise Him. Worthy are you to take the book, for you are slain, purchased for God with your blood, people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Christ is our song, He is our redemption. He has bought us with his blood, and so he is all worthy. This is the old, old story that will be my theme in, in glory. Uh, when I'm in heaven, when you're in heaven. And so each Sunday we begin this approaching God section of scripture. And what does it do? It doesn't just teach Bible. It gets to the cross. It runs to the blood. It runs to redemption. It's all about Jesus and him pouring himself as a substitute for us. That's heavenly worship. If we don't have that, we don't have heavenly worship. It's not just imperfect, it's flawed. It's idolatry. If our worship service is focusing on man, it's idolatry. It needs to be focused on Christ and so it begins with Christ, it's built on Christ, and it lands at the cross of Christ in the preaching. Spurgeon said it well, never was man blamed in heaven for preaching Christ too much. Nay, not even on earth, to the sons of man, was the cross ever too much spoken of. Outsiders may say, this man harps only upon one string. Do you wonder? The carnal mind is enmity against God. And it especially shows its hatred by railing at the cross. Saints, saintly ones, find here in the perpetual monotony of the cross a greater variety than in all other doctrines put together. Preach you Christ and Christ and Christ and Christ and nothing else but Christ. The motto of all true Christian servants of God must be we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ and it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir, then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Because it's worship. Only Christ is worthy of our theme in our service. He is the theme of heaven's service. And so we do speak of Christ 
and apply that to our lives today in growing and glorification and sanctification, right? In satisfaction with who he is because he is the solution to all of our problems. As we think about his gospel, the world's problems are all solved in this Christ, in his cross. And our growth with him, our being crucified ourselves in our union with him, and our raising with him in likeness. And so our worship service here must mirror the worship service in heaven, and its theme is always the lamb, the gospel of Christ. A Christ-centered worship service. Again, a man-centered gathering is idolatry. You, you follow heaven's worship service and it will be centered on Christ. And so what is he worthy of? He is worthy of what? Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive what? Power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. Christ is worthy of all of your power all authority jesus is worthy of receiving that all riches all of your wealth add it all up he's worthy of it all he owns it all anyway he has all power but he's worthy of it all he's worthy of us deciding to give it to him you see how glorious this christ is our lord jesus he's worthy of everything he's worthy of of all wisdom that all of the knowledge that you can put into skill, into living life well. It's all worth to be thrown at Jesus' feet. All might, all of our days and strength and waking hours are worth doing my job for Jesus. Doing your job for Jesus. He's worthy of all honor and all glory and all blessing. All of our praise and adulation. Only Jesus, Jesus is worthy of that. All of it. It's amazing how Jesus' name is blasphemed all around the world. What other name? Not Baal. Not Muhammad. Not Allah. Jesus' name. Why? Because Satan loves to blaspheme, to distract, to tear down this most holy, reverent name. Because he deserves it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, and worship what? His holy name. Sing like never before. Worship his holy name. All of your riches, all of your power, all of your might, all of your wisdom, Jesus is worthy of it all. And this is the, this is the tune of heaven. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Uh, Samuel Rutherford, pastor in Scotland, no stranger to pain, that quote came from him. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Nine years of ministry, he hit some really deep lows. His wife died, and then his two children died. Uh, he continued to preach. He was arrested for, for preaching and, and writing a book that said the, Scotland, the church in Scotland was becoming too liberal. And so he was arrested and placed, like John, in, in an island on house arrest. In that prison, he wrote 200 letters, continued to preach through writing. He wrote 200 letters. Ann Cousins read those letters, took images from those letters, and compiled this song. 
O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. Streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There, to an ocean fullness, his mercy doth expand. And glory, glory dwells in Emmanuel's land. With mercy and with judgment, my web of time he wove, and I the dews of sorrow as he experienced, were lustered with his love. I'll bless the hand that guided, I'll bless the heart that planned, when throned where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Listen to this image, it's so beautiful. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. And as we get closer to living that way, we live worship. Every part of my life is all about the glory of Emmanuel's land. God would bring Rutherford out of the prison. And he would change Scotland through preaching. In 1644, he represented Scotland. The Westminster Assembly helped in writing the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the shorter catechism, the first question is... The chief end of man, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Perfect worship is Christ-centered. And then lastly, let's get them all. Celestial, combined, communication, Christ-centered. And then lastly here, it's comprehensive. And this is the amazing thing. And this is what blows our, blows our mind. I don't understand this, but this is Bible. Every created thing. I was looking at Pepper did it just yesterday as I was thinking through this. Wait a second, Pepper, my dog? Every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Everything is going to join this worship song. Everything. Now, I think it's everything that was, was in existence at that point, but, but every being, because every being will be alive then, no being ceases to be. Hitler, Putin, your harsh boss from your 10th grade job, everything will be there and join this chorus. And that's why I say, when, when John says, then I looked, I don't know. I don't know. It's a mystery. But somehow God let him see the hub. The hub of human history when everything bows to Jesus. This is how you live life. This is why you don't care if that person slights you, demeans you. Hey, listen, man. It's just a few short hours. In fact, if we could see it, here it is. It's happening in the mind of God. This is the amazing thing. I am already seated in heavenly places. This is happening because our God is existing outside of time. He sees it, and he lets John see it, and he lets us see it, so we know it's happening in the mind of God. Everything is bowing and praising Jesus. This is the real paradigm. This is the real perspective. This is the worldview that changes our life and our history to know that everything on heaven and earth is bowing down to Jesus.
every president, John Quincy Adams, George Washington, can you see Bill Gates on his face worshiping Jesus, giving all wealth? It's all yours, Jesus. He's going to say it, and he's going to mean it when he sees Jesus for who he is. No one will hold anything back. No one will say, that person was wrong for sharing Jesus with me. Everyone will say, this was right. The gospel was right. There is one way to God, and it's Jesus. And then we have all things at all times. That's just mind-boggling. And then we have all types all the way. It's just what I picture here. If you follow the text, you see the elders, the beasts, singing, and then everything sings, speaking, everything speaks, and now they, they fall. And I don't know, but I, what I picture here is all of a sudden the, the millions, billions of beings, all of a sudden there's, there's crying out this declaration, this confession of worship, and then everything bows in silence to the Lamb. Every cursing sailor every crooked politician, every mean-spirited person, and they're just stopped. And I think this is what is encouraging to all of us and encouraging to John, who is isolated on Patmos, wanting to go to the house of Zion and worship with the saints, and he can't because he's in-house arrest. And so on the Lord's Day, Jesus raptures him up to view this place where it's the greatest worship service of all eternity. And in one sense, there I am. And I often do this. I don't know if you do this. I often say, Lord Jesus, you see me there. I'm no longer selfish. I'm no longer weak. I'm no longer singing out of tune. You see me there. See me, Lord, and hear that praise. That's my heart perfected by you. By your grace, help my Sunday worship be as close to that as possible. As I sing with all my heart. As I praise with all my heart to your glory.